0: Glad all of you are here this morning. I just want to let you know a little bit about FAM Church. If you're new to FAM Church, our goal, our heart, and our passion is to connect people to Christ. That's what we're here for. We're here that this community will know Christ in a real and powerful way, and we're glad that all of you have joined us this morning. We're, uh, we're glad that some people did not go out of town for Thanksgiving and, and hung around, and uh, we just hope that your experience here this morning has been amazing, that you've really felt connection with Christ through our worship and through everything else that we've done so far in our service. And so we are continuing on this morning, the final message in our Letters from Patmos series. Yes, Carol's with me on that one. I was like writing this and I was saying to myself, man, I wish this would have been over last week. I don't know, I just... Uh, maybe I've got a little bit of ADD maybe and that's the problem and so focusing on something for nine whole weeks is really hard for me to do I don't know but uh, uh, next Sunday we have uh, we have uh, the Loving Hands is going to be here next Sunday and so please take flyers take whatever we've got out there give them out to people who don't know Jesus if you've got friends or family members that have life controlling issues man I would bring them to this service because afterwards we're having a family dinner that means we're going to Eat after service over in our FLC, and so we need people to bring food with you on Sunday as well, so that we actually have food to eat. And uh, it's going to be a great week next week, and so and so let's uh, let's see Jesus do something amazing next week. And then after that, we're going to start our Christmas series, and it's going to be called "It's a Wonderful Life." Now, here's the deal: I'm I'm preaching on that, uh, doing a three-part series called "It's a Wonderful Life," and I've never seen the movie. Okay, so. So, yeah, I know, it's terrible, isn't it? I'm sorry, I'm just uh, it looks boring, I'm not gonna lie. All right, everybody can hate me now, you can hate me. But uh, I, <laughs> uh, I, I got a copy uh, in my office that I'll be watching this week so that I actually know what I'm talking about. And so this will be the first time in my life actually watching that movie. So some of you are probably blown away by that. But uh, I also, you know, and, uh, and with our, the end of our uh, Letters from Patmos series, some of you guys could celebrate by going home and just doing a binge of all nine weeks. You know, I'm thinking, you guys, how many of you go on Netflix and will watch a whole TV series or a whole season in one night? All right. We got a bunch of people that'll do that. Well, go home, maybe when this next video goes up, and just binge watch Letters from Patmos because it was just such a revolutionary message in your life, a series in your life, right? You guys, you guys are just like staring at me like I'm an idiot. All right, so let's keep going. Today, our last church, our final location is the church in Laodicea. Now, when I say that, it sounds like a disease or something, doesn't it? It's like, oh man, where have you been the last week? Man, I came down with a bad case of Laodicea, you know? I've I mean, that's really what it sounds like. And this city wasn't actually a disease. It was a woman's name. Okay, Laodicea. Dice, without the A, was the wife of Antiochus II, who was a king in the Seleucid Empire. And um, he named this city after his uh, lovely wife. However, a few years after naming the city after his lovely wife, he divorced that lovely wife. And so she must not have been as wonderful as, uh, as the uh, name of the city so says. But this, but this city... Besides having a, uh, being named after a woman who was kicked to the curb by the king, uh, this city was, was not well taken of when it was founded, okay? The founding of this city, people thought that the king was kind of stupid for actually putting this city where he put it because there was nothing there. It was just in a, it was a, it was a location that was terrible. There was no water supply nearby, okay? There was uh, no people living there. He just went out and he put a city in the middle of nowhere. All had they had there was a couple of trade routes that intersected in this area where he put this city. And they weren't well-traveled trade routes. They were kind of secondary trade routes. So it wasn't like he was putting a city out on I-4, knowing that a lot of traffic was going to come through there. He just threw a city out in the middle of nowhere with a secondary trade route. Well, as years passed, those who criticized the king slowly became became to look like fools. Because what had happened was, is that the Roman Empire came in and took over this territory. And the Roman Empire then took those trade routes that the city was on and, and made those primary trade routes rather than secondary trade routes. And then Rome said, hey, you know what, Laodicea, you're in such an important location where these trade routes cross that we're going to make you the administrative center of that area. And so all kinds of Roman government started to flow into that city. And so the city started to grow and the city started to prosper. Well. With the Roman government there, that also meant Roman military protection. And so that meant banking industry started to come to the city. And when you get a banking industry, you get lots of money, right? And so the city became wealthier. Well, after that... other people seeing the banks coming there. Then a bunch of different medical schools decided they were going to start locations in this city. And so next thing you know, you had medical schools and medical clinics going up all over the place. And people traveled from all over the Roman Empire to get to this city to get medical treatment, which all, you know, all of you guys who've had any medical treatment, you know how expensive that is, right? And so more money started to flow into the city. As a matter of fact, they had. They had this one thing in this city and it was called Phrygian powder. Okay, so when you hear that term, it sounds like if you possess this, you're going to get 10 to 15 years in jail, right? Phrygian powder. But it was some sort of eye treatment that I guess cured a bunch of eye ailments. And so uh, people were traveling all over just to purchase this Phrygian powder from the city of Laodicea, which meant more money and more money coming into the city. And it's in this environment of prosperity and wealth that this city... Uh, that this church develops, and it was also these very same things that led to the church's problems and the rebuke from Jesus. And so to think about what's going on here, I want to go to another sports analogy. Last week we did sports as well. I got another one for you. So, so everybody, on the count of three, I just want you to yell out your favorite sports team. I guess most of you probably won't participate in this, but that's okay. One, two, three. All right. So let's say your team, okay, gets The best player in its sport. So uh, if your favorite team is a basketball team, I know Pito will have issue with this, but let's say your team gets Steph Curry as the best basketball player. I know, I know LeBron James is God, I'm sorry, but, but you know, your team gets Steph Curry via trade or through free agency, okay, or, or, or let's say that uh, you're a baseball fan and your baseball team gets Max Scherzer as its starting pitcher. I have a hard time saying his name, that Z is in such a crazy spot. Or you're a soccer fan and so your team signs Messi, okay. Not Messi Dirty, Messi the player, okay? And so you've got you've got these guys, you've got this guy on your team, the the all-star, the superstar, the most amazing player on the planet. And they show up and they sign a big contract and they start practicing with your team. Well, let's say you've been practicing for a month now and game day is coming. And so Messi comes to the coach after he's handed his game jersey, and he says to the coach, dude, I can't wear this. I'm embarrassed. By this team. I mean, I like the money and I like everything you're paying me, but I don't want to go out there and play with these jokers. I don't want to go out there and represent this team, represent this city, represent this state. It's an embarrassing thing to me. I mean, how do you think people would feel about that? You as a fan, how would you feel if you found out your favorite or the best player that got? brought to your team, suddenly said, man, I don't want to play for those guys. They're embarrassing. I mean, would you be upset? Yeah, you know, take your money back, hit the bricks, get out of here, we don't want you here. I mean, that's what most of us would think. It would tick off the fans. It would definitely tick off the owners because they paid all of this money for this guy to become a part of this team. It would tick off the coaches because they built and designed a whole system of play around having this player on their team he wouldn't put on the jersey. And so with that, let's turn to Revelation chapter 3 and we're going to look at verses 14 through 22. Uh, This is the last time you're going to hear me say this. If you're familiar with where Revelation is at in the Bible, you can go ahead and turn there. If you don't know where Revelation is at, go to the back of your Bible, start paging forward. It's the last book in the Bible. You will find it there. Uh, If you still can't find it, if you don't care, it's going to be on the screen behind me for you to follow along. Um, And so here's what it says in Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 through 22 to the angel of the church and Laodicea write, these are the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say I am rich, I've acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, Blind and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich, and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness, and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person, and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my Father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Well, that was pleasant, wasn't it? I mean, everybody wants to be told by God that uh, they make God sick, right? Right? You know, that, that phrase there, spit you out of my mouth, the uh, literal translation of the Greek there is vomit. And so Jesus is saying, you know what, you make me want to throw up. I mean, how would that make you feel if Jesus came up to you and said, hey, how you doing? You make me want to throw up. Would you feel good about that? We don't have any sympathy vomiters in here, do we? I don't need any, any action going on because I said that. But uh, but yeah, I mean, this is something that no other church was able to accomplish here. This church was able to accomplish that they made Jesus sick. I mean, that's a badge you can wear with honor, right? The official, the official shirt of the church that made Jesus sick. We could have those printed up, you know, sell those, make some money off of those. But uh, you look at this, and where do we start in this section? Where do we start in this, uh, in this whole big chunk? And so where I want to start is I want to start in verse 15, um, because it's one of the most misused texts in the Bible. And it says, I know your deeds that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. And see, the way way most people interpret this verse is they say, well, Jesus, he wants us either hot or cold spiritually. And because we are neither one, he's going to throw us out of his mouth because we are lukewarm, he's gonna throw us away. And and I want you to think about this for a minute, okay? If you had a preference, if you were God and you had followers and you had a preference between people being either cold, lukewarm, or hot, I think cold would be the least likely option you would want to choose. And why do I say that? Because with something that's lukewarm, there's at least something there, right? It may not be all the way there, but there's something there. And I think God would rather work with someone who has something there than has nothing there. And so I don't think that this is the proper interpretation of this verse, that Jesus is saying, you know what, I wish you were either spiritually hot or spiritually cold, but because you're spiritually sitting on the fence, I'm just going to throw you out of my mouth. That doesn't make makes sense to me. And so let me offer to you a different interpretation here. And I believe that the reason that Jesus said this was because of the surrounding area and the water supplies that were available in the surrounding area. You see, Laodicea sat about six miles from the city of Hierapolis. And Hierapolis was a city of hot springs. They had hot springs all around them. And people would come from all over the Roman Empire to these hot springs, and they would soak in them to get healing in their body. you know, to, to get some sort of, because you've, you've all seen the icy hot commercials, right? Uh, uh, icy to dull the pain, heat to relax it away. You know, warm water has a purpose. It's relaxing. It, it, does, it has healing properties. And then if you were to go 10 miles the other direction was the city of Kolos. And in the city of Kolos was, uh, was cold water, rivers, and streams. And so these guys had the best drinking water around. It was very refreshing. It was very light. And so, so people went there to get their drinking water. And so what I think is going on here is that Jesus was saying, look, oh, yeah, the city, of, we got to get back to the city of Laodicea. So, so they didn't have water supply. So they had to pump their water in from outside. And so their choice was the closest water was hot springs. And so they would pump the water via the Roman aqueduct into their city. And so by the time this hot water had traveled through the Roman aqueduct system to arrive in their city, guess what temperature it was? It was lukewarm. Okay, so let's think about lukewarm for a minute. How many of you like a tall, refreshing glass of lukewarm water? Okay. All right, so it's a hot summer day and you've just cut your grass. Do you want to come into a nice, lukewarm glass of sweet tea? No, okay, so, so you've done some other thing, and so you want to get a Coke at room temperature and crack that open and drink it down. No, nobody's down with that? Well, how about, how about your dinner? I mean, maybe you like your macaroni and cheese served lukewarm. No? Yeah, that's nasty, isn't it? I'm not, macaroni and cheese lukewarm is nasty. See, if my coffee is lukewarm, I put it in the microwave, right? Right? If my tea, sweet tea is lukewarm, I scoop some ice and dump some ice in the cup. But they didn't have those options then. They didn't have the option to go to the refrigerator and get some ice and go to the microwave and hit a few buttons and heat some things up. They got lukewarm water, and that's what they got. This water didn't have the healing properties of the hot water in the nearby springs or the soothing and refreshingness, prop, refreshing properties of the cool water in the nearby rivers. Instead, you got something that you didn't want to drink, you didn't want to bathe in, you didn't want to make tea with. It was basically useless water. And that's what Jesus is saying here. He was calling this church useless. He was saying, look, you're not like the hot water. You're not like the cold water. You're not a source of healing like the hot water. You're not a source of refreshing like the cool water. All you are is sitting there doing your thing. You're good for nothing, and it's doing nothing to advance my kingdom, and it's making me sick. And so we have to ask the question, well, what was it about the church that made it so lukewarm. Well, Jesus tells us that as well. Uh, the Laodiceans, as we already said, they were extremely wealthy. And because they were extremely wealthy, this city had a very independent streak about them, okay? They felt like they did not need anything. As a matter of fact, one of their slogans was, I have wealth and need nothing. That was like literally one of the city's sayings was, I have wealth and need nothing. And, and that's kind of a mentality that a lot of people get is that when they have wealth, they don't need anything. As a matter of fact, this city was so wealthy that, uh, remember when we talked about the church of Philadelphia, I talked about an earthquake that completely destroyed the city. Well, that same earthquake destroyed the city of Laodicea as well. And Rome called and said, hey, well, how much do you need to rebuild the city? The Laodiceans said, Rome, we don't need your money we got this ourselves, we're going to do it. And they rebuilt the city nicer than it was before with everybody reaching into their own pockets and doing it that way without any assistance from Rome. I mean, this is how wealthy this city was. They had a culture that said, we don't need help from Rome. We don't need help from anyone else. And of course, that prosperity made them think that they were self-made, that they were the reason for their success. There was an episode of The Simpsons many years ago where Bart Simpson prayed a prayer that highlights the common thinking that happens when people have success. And so here is that short prayer from Bart Simpson. Bart, would you like to say grace? Dear God, we paid for all this stuff ourselves, so thanks for nothing. (gasps) (gasps) Dear God, we we paid for all this stuff ourselves, so thanks for nothing. We've done it all, we've accomplished it all, and we're pretty awesome. And because we are so awesome, we don't need help from anyone, and God should be honored to have us. We have no holes, we have no gaps, we have nothing to be ashamed of, because we've done nothing wrong. And the church in Laodicea seems to have adopted that mentality But instead of not just needing anything from the Roman Empire, instead of not just needing anything from the government, they didn't need anything from God or Jesus either. And see, a person or a church that thinks they have all they need and they really don't need anything else even from Jesus is a person or church that's in trouble. They were in such trouble that they failed to realize that they were wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked ouch. So how do you get to that place? How do you come to a place where you do not see your need for Jesus on a daily basis? How do you get to that point? I think it comes from the connection that people make between wealth, financial prosperity, and God's looking at them in their life. See, what, what we do is a lot of times is we make the connection between having financial prosperity and God being pleased with our life. We look at what we have and we say, man, I've gotten blessed with so much stuff. I've got money. I've got cars. I've got houses. I've got all of these things. And so, God, if I wasn't doing things right, he wouldn't have blessed me with all of these things. He would have punished me. And so I must be doing things right Because I have all of these things. But see, that's not how God works. He doesn't just go and bless people financially, make people prosperous because they're such amazing people. See, the balance of our checkbook is not a commentary on how much God loves us or how awesome our spiritual lives are. There is no connection between the two. Okay, there's no connection between being rich and God's favor upon someone's life. There's no connection. I mean, some of the richest people in the world are some of the furthest from God, and some of the poorest people in the world are those closest from God. There is no connection. And some of you may have said to yourselves, man, thank God that being rich is not a connection because, man, I'm not rich, but those rich people need to hear this. Well, let's talk about that for a minute. And I think I've mentioned this in in here before, but when you look at the world and you take a survey of economies, finances, and money that people have coming in, the poorest American is in the richest 5% of people in the world. If you live off of government assistance, you're richer than 95% of the world. I mean, wrap your brain around that for a minute, okay? In no other countries, do those who are considered poor have a car? Do they have a cell phone? Do they have a television? Do they have cable? Do they got an Xbox One sitting in their living room? Do they wear $150 Nikes every day? See, in America, we've got it kind of twisted, and we're rich, each and every single one of us. We have incredible wealth at our disposal, but we don't like to see that. We, when, when we're looking at somebody who's rich, we always look at the next, whoever's got more money than me, that's the person that's rich, right? Oh, well, that, that guy next door, he makes more than me, so he's rich, I'm not, Oh, that family—they've got—they've got a bigger house than me. Uh, they're rich. I'm not. Oh, That family—they got nicer cars. They got better cars than me. They're rich. I'm not. This—they've got better toys than me. They got the boats. They got the, the four wheelers. They got the 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 eight, they got all of the stuff, all of the cool toys. They're rich. I don't have those things, and I'm not. So I'm not rich. We are rich. We are rich, prosperous people. All of us in this room. And prosperity has two very dangerous sides to it. And the first one is this. It's a lie that, as I said, your spiritual life is connected to your financial life. That God is pleased with you and rewarding you or me because of it financially. Because, we, you know, we have this system that believes that you get rewarded for doing good and, and punished for being bad, and it doesn't always work that way. If prosperity were based on how how holy we are in our churches here in America, our church, I think, would look a whole lot different. But most of the people in churches are prosperous and yet those churches are full or not so full of complacent people. We're happy to show up when we show up. We don't care what impact our life is making We're not a source of healing, hot water. We're not a source of cold, refreshing water to our community. We're we're materially prosperous, but in fact, we are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. And this is exactly what you wanted to hear on Thanksgiving, right after Thanksgiving, right? You know, we say we believe in God, but Then we directly look at how our lives are being lived and there's no connection between the two you know we we say that oh i believe in god but when it comes down to well what about prayer we don't have time for that because it's it's kind of boring or uh you know i've got me things i need to do you know we say okay i believe in god but if somebody wrongs us God forbid somebody does something to us because we're going to make sure that they know that they've done something wrong and we completely forget about what Jesus says to forgive. We chase happiness like it's the ultimate goal in life and we try to achieve it at almost any cost. See, we ask the question in life, what will make me happy? Not what will make Jesus happy when we make decisions. Or many times we assume that what will make Jesus happy is what makes us happy. But nothing could be further from the truth. We say we believe in God, but money is our first and foremost priority. And we chase it just like we chase happiness. And I feel like, and this is me included in all of this, I'm not talking at you. I'm having a conversation with you about what I see, us as a people here in America, what our churches have become, what our churches are doing because our churches, we have so many churches, we have so many believers in this country, we should be seeing a greater impact outside of these walls than we are by far, but we're not. And I think a lot of it has to do with we've become so prosperous We become so happy and comfortable with life that we don't want to get out there. We don't want to, you know, live a life that's kind of a little bit crazy uh, to everybody else to make a difference in this world. Our churches are powerless and ineffective. We are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and a naked group of people that can't see our own failures and weaknesses, and we can't do anything to change the world Around them, because we have left Jesus outside knocking at the door, and the second thing I want to say to, to uh, about this is this: who wants to keep us lukewarm? Is it God? No, God doesn't want to keep us lukewarm. it's Satan who wants to keep us lukewarm. He will do whatever he can to keep us in a place where we are complacent, where we are happy, where we are sitting in seats, coming on Sunday mornings and saying, okay, I've done my God duty, now it's time for me to do what I want to do and live my life the way I want to live it. And he's more than happy to allow us to continue to move on like that because you know what? As long as we continue to move on like that, our church is never gonna have an impact on anyone who's lost. Our church is never gonna have an impact on our society, on our community, or anyone who's far from God because we're going to be so consumed and wrapped up with ourselves and our own life that we're not even going to bother to consider anybody outside of those walls, outside of these walls here at the church. And as long as we're doing nothing, as long as we're not making an impact, Satan is going to do everything he can to keep us right there because that just means more people are going to hell because we have failed to become a force of hot healing in our community, a force of cold and refreshing in our community, and he'll just leave us right there. He'll leave us in that spot. So what does all of this mean for us us at FAM Church, us as individuals? How can we avoid making Jesus sick like the church in Laodicea did with the prosperity that we have? The first thing is this, we cannot let our personal prosperity affect our life and walk with Jesus. Okay, I want to make this clear. I am not saying there's anything wrong with prosperity. There's anything unbiblical about being wealthy, about having money. It is perfectly fine. God does not want everyone to remain in abject poverty who follows him, okay? So this is not a message about people having money, okay? People can be prosperous, okay? God is good with people being prosperous. But the problem comes for us individually when we believe that we are rich because God is rewarding us for how great of a life we live. It's not a reward. We are not as awesome as we think. As a matter of fact, God has given us that prosperity for one reason. Jesus told us that reason in Luke 12, 48. Or he didn't tell us the reason. He tells us. He tells us why he has given us so much. He says this in Luke 12:48. For everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. See, the reason that we have what we have is because God has a high expectation on every single one of us sitting in this room. He's given us a lot because he has looked at us and he has said, you know what? I've got something great for you. I've got something incredible for your life, but it's going to demand an accountability with it. You're going to be held, I'm giving you this stuff because I am expecting much from you. It's not because God wants us to have more and more and more and more and more. It's because God wants us to do more and do more and do more and do more. Okay, he hasn't given us that so that we can stand there and say, man, look at all, look at the great house I got, the great boat, the, the cars, the this, the that. That's not why he gives it to us. He gives it to us because he has made us responsible for it, to do something great with it for his kingdom, to see this world changed and transformed. He doesn't want us to be the all-star player in our own life. Jesus says, you know what? I gave you this big contract so that you'll pull out the jersey of my team, put on that jersey, and get out there and play the game with everything that you've got. To get out there and just do whatever you can to, for my team to win. He's standing at the door. He's knocking. He's saying, hey, you got the contract. You got the jersey. Are you going to let me in? Are you going to open the door? Are you going to go and play the game the way I want it played? We can't be embarrassed. We can't say to ourselves, ah. Because unless we put on the jersey, unless we get out there and play the game, We're never going to make an impact. And guys, I hope that your heart and your passion is that you want to make a difference. You want to make an impact. You want to do something in this world that when you get to eternity, God's going to say, dude, you rocked it. You rocked it. You made an impact. They'll show you a group of people standing there and they'll say, they are here because of you, because of what you did. Because of how you took what I gave you. And you said, you know what? I've got this responsibility. I'm going to go with it because I know, God, you're going to demand much of me. And so I'm going to go at it with all that I am. I'm going to take that big contract. I'm going to play for the team. I'm going to open the door to Jesus and just going to run and go with it. That's what he wants from us. That's what he's calling us to be as a church. And so the question for us at FAM Church is, are we going to do that? Will we open the door or are we going to end up like the Laodicean church as a relic of history? The choice is ours. We have to decide whether or not we want to be a force, we want to do much with the much we've been given, or not.